I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Unhappy Hour, the show where we bitch about all the things we love to hate every single week. I'm your host, Matt Bellisai. I'm here in the studio, as always, with my producer, Barry Finkel. Hi, Barry. Well, hey there, Matt. How's it going? It's fine. Yeah. I don't know. It's fall. Uh, my bed smells weird. Why? <laughs> <laughs> it's that weird time of year where I don't know whether it's switch from AC to heat. I will use AC until it's negative 100 degrees. In college, they had to come into my room and tell me to turn off the AC because <laughs> it was 30 degrees outside and it would ruin the unit. And I was like, well, it's hot in here. So that's what my my bedroom and I do not know how to cope with temperature change and it's throwing me the fuck off. Anyway, <laughs> that's just a bunch of stuff from my life. Well, you know what? That's what this podcast is all about. That's exactly right, because this is a nappy hour. We're going to get into it, as always, with Worst Things First, where I destroy your happiness one news item at a time. After that, we are diving deep into straight couples. Have we touched on this before? Probably. Is there always more to complain about? Yes. And finally, we have comedian, podcaster, actor, soon-to-be author, Cameron Esposito in the studio. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's start the show. All right. Worst things first. Let's talk about the worst news of the week. First... Police arrested a man in Hoboken on Sunday, New Jersey, after he allegedly staggered onto a Lime rental e-scooter and started riding. Uh, He was drunk. Staggered, I guess, was the key word there. Um, He's a 26-year-old. The police then stopped him. He flunked a field sobriety test after he was stopped on the motor scooter. And apparently, it's illegal to be intoxicated while scootering. How else are you supposed to scooter? Yeah, who uh, who is being sober and riding a scooter as an adult? <laughs> Honestly, if you're sober and riding a scooter, you sh- should be arrested. Because, <laughs> like, guaranteed you've, like, diddled a little kid. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't trust scooters. It's all of the city of L.A. <laughs> I mean, there are so many cities now, big cities that have that. Austin, they were everywhere. But I guess the law in New Jersey is that anything that's not muscle-powered which means anything that's motorized? I guess. I don't. Of course, New Jersey's like, you, you got to use your muscles. <laughs> I don't know why it sounded like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> anything, whether it's a small vehicle, large vehicle, electric bicycle, golf cart, now e-scooters, you have to be um, sober. You cannot be drunk. You know You know what that means? You know what that means? It means that Fred Flintstone could be drunk while, while driving his car. <laughs> No, it's muscle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's muscle powered. I see what you're saying. Uh, I guess it is the second drunk scooting arrest made in Hoboken. Wow. Since they were launched in May. 
I'd never heard Hoboken called Broboken before. Never once in my life until now. Yeah, I had no idea until I was talking with someone. I was like, where do you live? And he was like, Broboken. And I had to look it up because I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where the fuck Broboken is. And then I realized, I mean, I still don't really know where Hoboken is. But I've like passed it on a train. Anything west of the Hudson, not of interest to me. And that includes the rest of the country. (laughs) Next! A homeowner in Ohio was surprised one morning to find that someone had broken into her home and taken a nap in her bathroom. The culprit, turns out, was a male goat who escaped from a farm several miles away and butted its way through the family's sliding glass door. (laughs) Fred the goat! Fred the goat! Oh my Unhappy god. Unhappy hour hero, Fred the Goat. <laughs> uh, inspires yet another goat man. Yeah, who famously escaped from a farm uh, wherever Fred escaped from. And let out a bunch of other goats as well. Yeah. Has wow. since inspired in our mythology the escapes of a number of animals. This is a beautiful story. So this woman, her 18-year-old son, came home one night to discover that a billy goat was in their bathroom. Could you Uh, imagine? Could you just, could you imagine walking into your home, walking into your bathroom and just randomly seeing a goat there? Well, he, I guess, came home from school. So it was Friday afternoon and um, he found that there German Shepherd was in the driveway all agitated. Oh, no. There was broken glass on the driveway. Oh, okay, so it starts off scary. And the house was reeking. Oh, no. no. <laughs> okay, so maybe not as, like, a fun, beautiful thing that I'm imagining, but... I mean, I guess it's scary, but then you walk in and you're like, why does my house smell like a goat? <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess they called the police and they came and then they found that there was a giant goat. Two county sheriff's deputies unsuccessfully tried to coax the goat named Big Boy. Oh, Big Boy. <laughs> out of the house with carrots, a dog bone and grass. But they eventually had to grab him by the horns and drag him outside where they secured him in a dog cage. Maybe he had to shit. Do you ever think of that? Did you ask him if he was done in there? Or taking a shower? That's Wasn't rude. he in the tub? Honestly, illegal. Yeah. Um, the woman put a message out for the missing goat on a community Facebook page and received a reply with the owner's name and number. The apologetic owner. And then the owner had to come that night and um, with the woman's husband's help, loaded him into a livestock trailer for his ride home. I just love that this implies that the police came, helped her get it into a, a cage, and then was like, all Peace right, out. see you later. <laughs> <laughs> a goat broke in your house? Guess it's your goat now. You just have this goat. We'll help you get it out of the bathroom, but you keep it. And then it was her responsibility to find the owner. Maybe she volunteered, but either way, I just love that. It was like, yep, <laughs> the police don't care. Um The woman said that they then learned that their home insurance policy covers damage from bears and deer, but not goats. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so stupid. Fighting with the company right now. Um, And she also said, despite applications of carpet, deodorant, and urine neutralizer, the odor from Big Boy still lingers. (laughs) Shout out to Big Boy and Fred. And finally, this is another story that got sent a couple times. A Russian man is launching a lawsuit against Apple, claiming that an iPhone app turned him gay. Noise. Was it Grinder? 
racist. That one would be one to turn you gay. I guess. Saying he suffered moral harm, this man is asking for one million rubles, which is (laughs) $15,000. It's still hilarious to me that rubles are of currency. I remember reading, like, Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. Because I'm classy. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and every time someone would say rubles, it's like, all right, this isn't real. Yeah, so he's asking for one million rubles, according to a copy of a complaint um, seen by the news agency AFP. In a lawsuit filed in September, it claimed that a cryptocurrency called GayCoin was delivered via a iPhone app rather than the Bitcoin he had ordered. <laughs> I don't know what. It literally makes zero sense. So I guess this guy ordered Bitcoin. Instead, he As one got does. Re- he received something called gay coin. And then according to the complaint, it said, I thought in truth, how can I judge something without trying? I decided to try same sex relationships. Now I have a boyfriend and I do not know how to explain this to my parents. <laughs> What, did, what does Gaycoin do? <laughs> what it does went from it do? zero to 69 so fast. Boom. He adds that his life has been changed for the worse and he will never become normal again. Oh my God. Um, he says Apple pushed him towards homosexuality through manipulation. The changes have caused me moral and mental harm. Do you know how many people would pay to have or i'm sorry would sue to have a boyfriend you're suing because you have a boyfriend that's not it's just, fair it's weird to me that this man is like now i have a boyfriend and i like can't get rid of him <laughs> <laughs> like they shipped a boyfriend to his house and was like this is yours now and you have to keep it uh i mean yeah if any part of this is true it sounds like it's like i mean being gay in russia yeah, is not already yeah, not yeah, a yeah. great thing yeah. and it seems like this person is gay <laughs> and has been gay and is now like has to explain it yeah so he's like it's my iphone's fault oh no but it's like oh honey <laughs> you've been gay this whole time <laughs> But also, yeah, it is upsetting that someone is, like, not even trying and they get a boyfriend. Yeah, come on. (laughs) Fuck off! Uh, But, yeah, if Apple wants to do anything about my situation, they're welcome to try. Anyway, that's it for this week's Worst Things First. Next, we're getting into people who are not gay, i.e. the straights. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. All right. Well, it's officially cuffing season, which I didn't know if that was just gays or straights or everybody. I think it's everybody, isn't it? It's everybody. Cuffing season, it means people are going out there locking people down just so they have someone for the winter time, which basically means that straights are going to be enslaving one another and driving the rest of us crazy with their public displays of being assholes. So let's get into it. This is a deep dive on straight motherfucking couples. First, they're always tonguing one another in public. Constantly. Constantly. Why? Why? 
It tastes so good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's so gross. Every every time I'm walking in like Chelsea or a gay any gay neighborhood in New York, which IMO is all of them, and I see a straight couple, it's like, why are you here? Why are you out here? You're in public. We can all see you right now. Straight people holding hands in a gay neighborhood is a hate crime. <laughs> FYI. That's why I love Chicago, because they straight up just, it's, the neighborhood is called Boys Town. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is in the name. Also, straight people love wearing matching outfits, just to remind us all that they are basically twins. And they fucked in the womb. Mm -hmm. One time I was um, at a party with one of Alex's friends, and his friend's girlfriend, when we were out on the porch, asked me if Alex and I were dating or if we were siblings. Oh, no. And I was like, why is that the either or here? Yeah, I think if that is a question that you're thinking in your brain, you don't, (laughs) like, you should recognize not to say it out loud. Yeah. I don't get matching outfits. I am constantly wearing the same clothes as my boyfriend. Right. Take, mm-hmm. take, uh, sometimes we do accidentally. No, you know what? Also, during Thanksgiving, we, we like coordinated outfits. Mm. Oh, no, <laughs> I'm the problem. Uh, yeah, I will say I do actively avoid now. I'm like, even if I think the person is kind of cute, I'm like, mm, I think we look too much alike. Oh, no, <laughs> don't shut out love like that. Uh, you I love to. yourself exactly. I'll only match with them so I can kill them. Straight couples love wearing matching Halloween costumes, too. And it's like, we get it. Your genitals fit together. That's all I want. It's no! all I want. And he never will do it. He what never will. What is your will. ideal matching costume? Well, I want to do one where I'm Elaine, Putty is Putty from Seinfeld, and Alex is Seinfeld. And he just won't do it. And I don't get why. It's all there. It's all set up. We already have the clothes. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and the voice. I uh, yeah. I why don't you just do one where like you're uh you're the butt of a horse and he's the head. Of yeah, horse. that's a good idea. That's the costume you should do. Uh-huh. Then we'll know which one is the top and which one is the bottom. Also, straight people love fighting in public. I don't think I've ever seen a gay couple fight in public. At least we can't. Because it's illegal. <laughs> Someone will hate crime us. <laughs> but straight couples, I mean, I, I would say this is this is bad and I don't like it. Well, I would say it's annoying, but also I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching straight couples fight in public because they're so uh, dramatic about it. That I mean, the thing that I hate is when they're like, oh, gays are all in our face. But then all of these straights are just like airing their dirty laundry in public. But as a gay, in the words of Jenna Maroney, drama feeds our electrolytes. So I do love watching straight couples fight in public. And I pick a side and I join the fight. What a journey we just went on. Also, straights are always making stuff his and hers. And it's like, just let it be. Why is this this pillowcase gendered? Why is this towel gendered? Because everything has a gender and everything should. (laughs) No, it's because your disgusting ass husband is going to rub that towel on his dirty ass taint. (laughs) And then you don't want to put it on your face. Oh, I hate that. Also, straight guys love to call their girlfriends like my girl or my woman. I hate that. I hate when anybody says that. What about my wife? <laughs> That's a Borat joke. Uh, <laughs> Remember that? Hey, good times. Uh, I I truly hate how 
Borat has done that <laughs> to my brain every time. I, there's no possible I can't way of read. saying my no, wife. I can't read it. <laughs> also, all straight couples act like they just hate one another. They're, they're, they're like, oh, the old ball and chain. That's what you call your wife? Your wife. <laughs> There's an entire TV channel devoted entirely to straight women murdering their husbands. (laughs) My mom watches it every night. Like, there's an entire genre of humor that's just, I hate my spouse. Yeah. And it's strictly straights. Yeah, because it's real (laughs) and true. Yeah, my mom has a, like, she cut it out of, like, a magazine and put it on the refrigerator, and it's still there. It's a cartoon, like, a a comic, a single, like, cell of a comic, Uh and it's a woman answering the phone, and she has a smoking gun in her hands, and the caption is, sorry, you just missed him. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's going to be evidence one day. Yeah, I'm like, you can't just put that out there. You have to hide the trail. Also, straight weddings are boring. Oh, you think this is exciting just because it's not an affront to the Bible? (laughs) No, that's not enough to keep you, carry you through. You can't just rest on tradition. You have to spice it up. Also, hardcore haters love to be like, oh, the Bible says Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. But like Adam and Eve, sure, they were the first straight couple and they were terrible. Famously, (laughs) they fucked everything up for everybody. Also, I love how they're like, oh, gay couples can't, like, raise children. Adam and Eve had two kids, and one of them murdered the other one. (laughs) (laughs) How's that for the history? Yeah. Yeah. That's facts. That is science. Mm -hmm. So, this has been Science with Matt. Also, straight couples love doing shit like going skydiving and rock climbing and shit. No. We don't face enough danger in our everyday lives. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Uh, gays have the thrill of just existing <laughs> exactly. to keep their adrenaline up. Mm-hmm. Straights have to keep it exciting by going skydiving. Also, straight couples are like, yeah, yeah, we just met while I was buying fishing tackle and she was buying uh, fucking marmalade. <laughs> what store are we at? <laughs> Walmart, clearly. Oh, duh. Yeah, straight couples are always talking about how they met, and it's just like, how do you meet on not the internet? Alex and I met on the doorsteps of our college radio station, and I was like, your sweater's inside out. And he was like, I know, it looks cooler this way. And then we would listen to each other's radio shows, and then we would DM each other during oh my them. God. And then I'm going to electrocute dating. myself. <laughs> I'm going to put a fork into the wall <laughs> and put the other end in my teeth. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> that is not, no gays have ever met that way. <laughs> I I don't think any straights have met that way either. Honestly, you're an anomaly. Also, straight couples are just out here pretending to be pleasured by one another. Like, that is an entire theme of being in a relationship, a straight relationship. As a straight woman, it just a, a part of her job is just convincing the boyfriend that he's doing sex right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you so sorry. I will cancel so this sorry. podcast so fast. So and that's why straight couples are the worst. So that's it for this week's Deep Dive. Next, we got Cameron Esposito in the studio right after this commercial break. Today's episode is brought to you by First Leaf. 
Unlike other wine clubs, First Leaf uses your feedback and ratings to curate wine selections personalized to your unique tastes. One of the curated wines I got in my first order is an Incarnadine 2017 white wine blend. It is a, a gorgeous California wine, and I felt a very fancy and sophisticated just sipping it atop my roof. Also, it has a little bear riding a tricycle on the label. You can start by taking the First Leaf wine quiz to assess your exact wine drinking preferences, and then First Leaf will create an introductory six pack of wine for just $29.95. Once you get your pack of wine, you can taste them and rate them online, and then First Leaf takes your ratings and selects unique wines based on your taste for your next shipment. So try First Leaf Wine Club today where buying great wine is simple. You can sign up with my link and you'll get an exclusive intro offer. Six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash unhappy. That's six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com slash unhappy. My guest complainer today is Cameron Esposito. Cameron is comedian, actor, writer. She hosts the popular podcast Query. You can watch her stand-up special Rape Jokes. And her memoir, Save Yourself, is out March 2020. Cameron, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much. I, get, I brought you an advanced reading copy of the book. I know. Honestly, I'm so impressed that uh, it doesn't come out for March until March 2020, and there's already a printed copy. Also, aren't you impressed that I remembered to bring it off of my kitchen counter where I put it out last night? <laughs> I, I laid it out next to my keys. <laughs> I thought, I'll bring this, Matt, and then I just, I remembered. I, I literally can't believe that I had a plan and executed on the plan. You've outdone me a thousand times over. I feel very over. proud. <laughs> I wrote a book now a couple years ago, and like... I, I feel like I finished it like the day before they published it. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, we had to we had to start printing it. It's uh, too late. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I it's annoying to have it done at this point, to be honest, because yeah. then it's just like the nervousness of right. what if it's what if it's short and terrible? Like, what if everybody goes, this is short and terrible? You know, then I I have to think about that with great anticipation for too long. Right. I wish that honestly, I wish it could just be thrown directly in the trash. <laughs> I worked very hard on it. I think it's funny and good. And also, please buy it and also then throw it right in the trash. Yeah. That's what I hope from everyone. All right. I do want to ask our, our standard question, which is, what is one thing you hate that everybody else loves? So this was my first thought when I read this question. Mm -hmm. I feel vulnerable with this, that this is my answer, but I'm going to say it anyway. Male stand-up comics. <laughs> All right. My answer. All right. We're getting real right away. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't mean um, like hate as people because sure. a lot of these folks are my peers. I think I'm speaking more generally mm -hmm. to the idea. You know, because of my job, I very frequently get interviewed by folks who are sort of talking about comedy from this shared premise of like given that we all love these five straight men right. who created this job now let's talk about comedy today and i just don't find that the same 
something funny that I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is like there is there is some like there's supposed to be some shared standard of like what is funny that we've all sort of agreed to, and then like people who are quote unquote alternative. Right, like I'm like, some sort of niche comic right. that came out of nowhere and is set up almost against these like pillars that created my industry. But I like I can see the craft. I um I can appreciate it. Right. But like what do I think is funny? Like not necessarily that. Yeah. I don't I I almost feel like I maybe it's just because like yeah, I live in New York. I feel like I interact with a lot of like quote unquote alternative comics, queer comics. Uh like I'm not like talking to a lot of straight male comedians all that often. So to me it almost feels like oh, it's it's changing. And then like something happens and then you all of these people will suddenly like come out in support of a, a, a straight white male comic and we're like, "Oh, I guess those people still exist and are are doing stuff and that's like a standard that people are are holding everybody to." Yeah, I mean, I think what you're talking about, I absolutely see and I'm excited about this yeah. like newer crop of folks I'm sort of I think almost at the like upper age and generation of that I think folks like younger than me yeah and newer to stand up it's all mixed up and it's all different types of identities and that's really exciting but when you still look at like a bottom like if you looked at somebody's like W2 or whatever the people that are still <laughs> making the most money doing this job are still straight white men yeah and the folks that still are tastemakers are straight white men and the folks that are still being deemed as like, well, these are the comics and then these are the counterpoints. Right. Those are still straight white men. Right, and right. And so I think it's like, it's not that I, I mean, hate is such a strong word. <laughs> it is. Don't well, I mean, <laughs> find funny. Like, that's probably true. Like, I pro- yeah. you know, like, that's probably true for me. And I, and I just want to say that because... I think everybody assumes that's not true for some reason. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a good answer. It's a good answer. Because, I I mean, yeah, I'm curious to know how you feel about when you do have a little bit of a, like, whatever platform you have, uh, yeah, like, to what extent are you using it to, like, make the world a better place? Is it, like, through your work? Or is it, oh, I have an audience because of my work, so I can sort of, like, you know. Yeah, I, f- I feel like for me, I just came to this with, like, an overdeveloped so- social conscience because of how I was raised, I yeah. think, partially. Like, I was raised really, really Catholic, and then I wanted to be a priest, and then I wanted to be a social worker. I was in social work school for a while mm-hmm. at the beginning of my comedy career. And then I think, like, as I started doing stand-up, I was coming at it from a perspective of, like, creating space for myself as a queer person, but then also wanting to, like, hold the door open and, like, get other folks through who might have less privilege than I do. Like, I'm a white person. I'm a cisgender person. So, like, how can I – now that I'm not constantly fearing for my life, how can I create a circle of safety around myself? And and I – it's like this has been very – deliberately a part of what I've done with my business. So, you know, like when I had a TV show, I was so deliberate about the hiring practices. When I released Rape Jokes, it's actually a fundraiser and has raised almost $100,000 for rape crisis intervention. You can watch it still for free on my website and donate to Rain and all this. It's like it's always been merged together, this like social conscience and 
being very funny. Yeah. Um, and I can't be different. This is just who I am. But sometimes it is annoying. Like I wish <laughs> I, I sometimes wish I could be a little different. I don't mean um, I like who I am, but it's a lot of pressure that I am putting on myself. Yeah. And it's and it's uh, you know I think there's like a perfectionism sort of built into that where it's like not only do I have to be funny but I have to be funny and doing the right thing. Right. But I'm right. just a human being, you know. <laughs> yeah. So like, what am I expecting of myself? And sometimes I think I could just let myself off the hook a little bit. Yeah. And that's I say this so openly because I think that there's a lot of pressure on all of us right now to be yeah. doing all of those things. It's like to be conscientious, t- conscientious the right type of queer person, you know, the always saying the right thing. It's important to me to evolve, to listen to other people and to not do harm like you're saying. Right. But I don't, do I always have to be doing it at a 10? No. Maybe not. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, you are, you're you're killing it, so. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like. Yeah, no, I I mean, social workers have to take, do a lot of self-care so that they don't burn out. Right. Yeah. So why am I not expecting that of myself? A fucking stand-up comic. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, you, you can take it a little take, easy. Relax. <laughs> uh, well, I think the funny thing is because I I think we had a pretty similar background. Where I'm from Chicago, also was raised. Catholic. I know that. Yeah. Um, I feel like the Catholic thing is really like that'll guilt you. It'll it'll make you feel like you have to be doing more or else. Or this else. dude who's at the center of the whole thing, Jesus. He did like no self care. He was always Famously. like, he was always like, don't put that oil on my hair and like my feet and stuff. Like sell it and give the money to the poor, you know. And it's like, he's always he's you know you know how he is. He's like split everybody else should eat. I'll eat last if right. there's anything left. There will be something left because he can multiply the fishes and everything. But <laughs> there's always more. You yeah. know, he's like kill me. Sure, yeah. So everyone else, like that's just truly. As a model for how to live, yeah, there's a lot to admire there. But then, <laughs> I don't know if you know, he literally had like 12 people. had to, He had 12 assistants right. so that he could get his shit done. Yeah. But because I mean, he wasn't taking care of himself. All it took was one assistant to fuck up. and, and That's yeah, exactly he right. He really fucked up. But it's also like, Jesus, if you took care of a little bit more of your own shit, then all these other people wouldn't have to constantly <laughs> be following you around. Right. We should say he had 12 unpaid interns. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You not know? great. Not great. Take care of yourself and pay the people that work for you. Right. That's, or college credit. That's a different That's a different Bible that I'm <laughs> writing. Where he's like, actually, I would like to live. Thanks, Dad, but I'm going to continue to live and thrive. And also, <laughs> I'm going to pay the people that work for me. Did you go to, like, Catholic school or, like, a Sunday Grade school? school? High school. College. Yeah. The whole thing. The whole thing. Right, right. Wait, did you you didn't go to Notre Dame, did you? I did not. I went to Boston College, the alternative. Yeah. I didn't know Boston College is uh Catholics Catholic. It is college. heavily Catholic. Yeah. It is heavily Catholic. I, mean, I, well, I guess is, Boston is very heavily Catholic. Um, but it's the biggest Catholic school in Boston. Yeah. Um so and I think, you know, this is a little bit what's like in my book. So I'm only saying that because I'm like, oh God, now what if I talk about this on the podcast and people read the book, they go, what? <laughs> we feel tricked. This yeah. was already, but um, BC is, this is also true of Notre Dame, although I think people are a little bit more aware that it's a Catholic school because it's like got the Our Mother in it as right. the t- 
title of the thing. The Catholic Church has done an amazing job. You heard it. That I heard was my that coming. one. I heard that one. The yeah. Catholic Church has done an amazing job of using football to normalize <laughs> yeah. cult beliefs. A little bit, yeah. Not a little bit. <laughs> a lot of bit. I believe in this. <laughs> I believe in this fully. Um, I believe that, like that, our faith that we grew up in is well. What did, What was your experience? Did you go, Did you go to Catholic school or just? Um, no, I I went to public schools. Um, but yeah, I had to go to like. Therein <laughs> is our difference. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. in how cult like. I think uh, well, my dad. Yeah, my dad went to like Catholic schools growing up, uh, and I don't know. I think it was just like it was more expensive for our family, mm-hmm. so we didn't. Um, but also, it sounds like my dad's experience. This is another thing that um, Barry, our producer, also is from Chicago, and her dad has talked about this. Uh, my dad has said that when he was in Catholic school, all all the boys had to do swim class naked. Right. Are you familiar with this? <laughs> I I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, everyone's very confused. Well, I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> it just feels like I've only heard it from people in Chicago, and it feels like wow. we should have a spotlight kind of movie about this because something was happening in gym classes around Chicago in, like, the 60s. First of all, I also just realized that I am hungry and— I can hear my own stomach in the headphones. I it's don't. okay. We don't need to have a snack okay. or anything. Like I saw you look over at a we producer. Could, yeah, like, we can like bring, like, bring in a snack. I just wanted to acknowledge it for any listeners that are like. In case you hear Just it. as a real quick question. Is there a small monster in the studio? It's, yeah. Yeah, there is. There's a, I'm having a audible stomach rumbles and I, that's okay. I'm we can okay personify. It. There is a presence in the room <laughs> yeah, that is your hunger. That's right. And it will sit with Um I do want to ask about um, how do you kind of balance like how personal you get in your material and what you write about? That's such a great question. Yeah. Thank you. With what? How do you balance with, with everything? Like, uh, I don't know. Is there a part of you that... Was there any point where you sort of thought, like, this is who I am on the stage and, like, in writing yeah, versus, like, who I really am? Like, how – is there a line that you maybe, like, don't cross when you're figuring out what to include? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously your material is, like, pretty personal. Yeah, that's a great question. I am, I am very different off stage than I am on stage. You yeah. may have noticed since I immediately took this conversation into the most serious, <laughs> like rapist place, like four seconds in. I'm like, I'm starving and I, I'm like, let's talk about it. Religion. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I think I, I'm a different, I not a different person, but everybody has like a stage persona. Yeah. And, and there's a difference. Um, I'm much like squishier and more emotional uh off stage and fumbling around, small little guy. And then on stage, I, I think I'm very sort of bombastic and um, think one thing about every topic. But this last couple of things that I've, you know, first I was making some content about marriage mm-hmm. and then I was making content about sexual assault. And now I just wrote a piece for the New York Times about divorce because I'm going right. through a divorce. And, you know, that took me a year to write that piece about divorce. And it's just the first thing that I've said about it. It took me a year to write it. So that's a little longer um, than, like, when I was writing about marriage, 
when I was writing about sexual assault, you know, that happened when I was in college. I was writing about it almost 20 years later. So I think the more painful things, it can be hard to figure out how, well, I think it's two things. What do I want to say about this? Like, let's just make sure I know what I want to say about it. Right. And then number two, like, can I make that funny? And it's the more painful the thing is, the more difficult it is to yeah. make it funny. But I think it's, there's that middle point, you know, where you're like, or where, where I, because I had to perform during this, the entirety of like my separation. Right. I just had shows booked. This is just my job. And at first I wasn't talking about it at all. And then I started talking about it a little bit over time. And it's like, there's going to, there are audiences that see you, that saw me do things that I wasn't really ready to talk about right and they're just there and so that's there's no way around it you know sometimes you're just going to be like whoops this wasn't funny yet or whoops this was too sad or too honest yeah yeah and and it's okay I think it's part of the process I think a lot of comics have to figure that out although some people I think are a little less to the bone than I am yeah pretty to the bone with my stuff I do love telling a joke where uh, that maybe isn't fully worked out yet and realizing immediately, like, oh, that's just too sad. It's too sad. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, there's no there's no punchline there. That's just me being very self-deprecating and sad. Well, because actually an audience doesn't want to laugh at you. Like, that right. is, as humans, we are so uncomfortable with that. Yeah. So there, it, it can never be. Like, sometimes I think people will think— um, like in movies or sometimes they'll be like there's like a comic bombing on stage and then there's people like in the audience like talking to each other and like pointing and laughing it, it's just like it's also that moment in like a movie about high school where there's like a really dorky kid who's like pants fall down and then everyone around is like ha 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 like that's not how we are right when somebody is truly in pain we fucking ignore the shit of of that about that. Like we just like yeah. walk past that person. Right. Like the the kid in high school who had it the worst wasn't the one that was being laughed at. It was the one that nobody like saw. Yeah. You know. And like if a comic is bombing, the audience is crossing their arms. You know, like tighter and tighter till they pop because everybody's just like, we can't. We do not like this. Right. Right. We do not like discomfort. We do not like pain. Yeah. Yeah. Get this away from me. <laughs> I want only things that are packaged as being silly. Right, right. One of my I, I was reading the the modern love essay on the way here. Um a real it's a real upper on the way to a, an interview. <laughs> 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 but it was beautiful. Um but one of my favorite lines was about uh, how uh you grew up in a stable household and how that's like detrimental to your artist sensibilities. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I I kind of feel the same way. It's like I I always say my mom loved me too much and now I'm like fucked up because of it. I try try to like get as much right. out of it as I can. But it's sort of like, yeah, you kind of have to like live and go through some of those more vulnerable moments. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that piece that I wrote has some really funny stuff in it. And it's like so sad. Like literally the whole thing could just you could just like do like like select all and just delete it and just write, I'm sad. And that would also (laughs) be what it is. And I think, you know, that I'm not trying to exploit myself. It just is where I'm at. And I think as a queer person, younger in my career and in my art, I was just trying to present 
people with like a lot of happiness because there was a lot on the line. Yeah. Like I literally had to prove to myself and other people that I could be happy and gay. Right. Because that's not the messaging that I got when I came out. And I so I just was like, I'm I'm fucking I'm happy as hell. Right. I am so happy. You know, like a strangling <laughs> myself with my happiness. Yeah. And now I feel like it's okay to be honest about the other stuff too. Yeah. I think in a way that that, I don't know. I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, but it, that to me feels more helpful. If you're a young queer person, it's sometimes if you see all of the like, it gets better stuff and you're not feeling that, then it feels like, well, my experience must be so different than everybody else because I don't feel like things are getting better or whatever. Whereas hearing someone's like honest experience about going through something tragic and like kind of working through that and being honest and saying like, this is, it feel it sucks, but like this is part of the experience. Yeah, I mean, I think it is more helpful now. It's yeah. funny because I got my first job in comedy the same week I graduated college, the same week Massachusetts became the first state to legalize same-sex marriage. Uh-huh. That happened the same week. That's, you know, just 15 years ago. I think we can forget that, like, what we needed to say 15 years ago was, like, I'm so happy. You know, like, we needed to say that because 15 years ago, gay people were, like, culturally molesters yeah. who needed to be kept away from Boy Scouts, you know, and then we needed to be like, no, we're happy, we're stable so that we could save our own lives, you yeah. know, but then now you're right. It's like we have to be able to show the the intricacies and the realities. It's just there was a lot of pressure to kind of get through this message that like we could be who we are and be okay. Yeah. And now I think it's more like we can be who we are and not be okay. Yeah. And I think all of that was important. Right, right. Uh, I want to uh, move to, we call it a game. It's, you know, this is a great transition. Game it around. <laughs> game it around. Uh, it's called a lab or hate. This is where we found some tweets where you've expressed your, <laughs> your hatred of things. Great. Um, and I want you to kind of elaborate. Yeah, we're doing the opposite of what you were. We're going back to the, the open mic material of just, here's a super oh, relatable my content. my God. I wonder when this is from. <laughs> bring this, well, bring it summer, on. Uh, so these are from like 2017, 2018. Okay, um, got it. I hate it when Beyonce isn't on TV. That's a, I would agree. Wow, I can't even <laughs> ma- imagine why I said that, but I agree with myself. It was February 2017. When is the Super Bowl? I was just going to say it's the Super Bowl, isn't it? Yeah, it probably is. Um, one of my most favorite moments in life was when Beyonce did the Super Bowl halftime show the first time. Oh, yeah. And I think you know what I'm going to speak about. She's on the stage, and then suddenly... Two trap doors open, and Kelly and Michelle are shot up. Launched. They are shot up. <laughs> they are propelled from below. <laughs> like to complete Destiny's Child. It was so. I screamed. I screamed. I was at a party. I was at like a Super Bowl party with mostly dude stand up comics. Uh huh. They were, I think, ignoring. The halftime show. I right. was screaming, falling to my knees. <laughs> yeah, I like remember where I was for that entire It's so beautiful, right? We're both grabbing our hearts, our yeah. chests. <laughs> I remember uh, that was when I worked at BuzzFeed. It was when I was an intern and there was another guy there who I think liked to antagonize me and purposely like knew I loved Beyonce, 
like tried to like pick out Beyonce's faults to aggravate me. And there's one moment of that performance where like she's supposed to lie down and there's like her outline spreading out in lights and she wasn't like perfectly in the center. Oh God. And he made an entire BuzzFeed post about it. Oh my God. And I was like, this is why Yeah. God. A lot of choices. I saw Beyonce for the first time when we were both 16, because she and I are the same age. Okay. And Destiny's Child had four members. (laughs) I saw her at that point. Lativia? I don't remember the I don't even remember her name, but she was not Destiny's Child was not the headliners. They were not the headliners. It was like at this music festival. And I have since performed on that stage where I saw her perform there in front of uh, 35,000 people and ate the most shit I have ever eaten in my life Wait. on the stage where Beyonce first came into my life, no less. I think I read, this was at the Tweeter Center, right? Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> and now it's like the first Midwest Bank amphitheater Yeah, that's or exactly, the Tweeter Center. Thank you so much. That's what it's called. The New World. That's what I, that's what it used to be called before the Tweeter Center. It was the New World Music Theater. Was that, uh, were you like opening for an act? No, it was like this big tour of comics. I and see, I see. We played there, and then the next night was like somewhere outside of Detroit. That actually went really well. Uh huh. I have since performed for this size crowd a few times. Like, yeah. I wouldn't say maybe four times I've performed for like a thirty to 40,000 people, and the rest of the times, incredible crushing. Yeah. But thank you to the universe. I actually, it feels right to bomb on the stage where I first saw Beyonce. You know what I mean? Right. Otherwise, I could put us as peers. Right. Mentally. Right. Yeah. That'll and fuck I with you. I don't want to do that to myself. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I could handle that pressure. Just like knowing that Beyonce was once on that stage. I don't think I'm ready for that, Jelly. Yeah. Sometimes I don't look at, um, I don't like to look up some of the venues that I've been at. Because then I'm like, oh, these people have been on the stage and I'm about to, like, desecrate it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. There was one um, Park West. Oh, yeah, of course. In in Chicago. Yeah. That I was at. uh, Right. And it's like Aretha Franklin performed there. It was like, yeah. Yeah, that's a legendary spot. I don't belong there. (laughs) I've been on that stage. Yeah. Cameron Legendary Aretha Franklin. Yeah. And then me. <laughs> Something's not right. Some, <laughs> one of these doesn't fit. Okay, another one. Uh, I started trying to get in shape, and it's bad, and it's I, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I do it then? Because I dislocated my first rib typing. <laughs> <laughs> I, That's true. I've been on my uh, fitness journey recently, and it's not—it's hard. Do you know where your first rib is? The collarbone? It's like this one that's like, yeah, it's, it's right up almost in your shoulder. It faces up. <laughs> I moved my first rib. This Did, is You actually this, dislocated your first rib. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like I was like, ah, like I was just trying to make the comedy go so hard that, yeah, I dislocated my first rib. It's fine. <laughs> I got it. It's I got fine. it. Um, okay. My neighbors delivered a letter saying they were having a party, not an invitation, a party notice. Yes. I hate them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I've never experienced that before. Well, yeah, I don't even get the notice, I, let this alone was, the invitation. I used to share a backyard with folks, and it was like, just so you know, between this and this time, we're having like a big, amazing party. You'll hear the sound of food. You'll, <laughs> see, you'll hear the sound of a DJ. You're going to hear the opening of bottles. And please don't call the cops. Right. And, I, and I'm like— 
excuse me, it should be like, and drop by. Yeah. I feel like that's normal, actually. That it should that should come with an invitation. And drop by. Yeah. It was, I was, I stood at my window, arms akimbo, and frowned at them the yeah. entire night. I would have called the Very police. Upset. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, guess what? I already called them. They're on the way. <laughs> I, I pre-alerted them. Yeah. I, we got a solid few hates in there. Oh, yeah? I'm, I'm confident in that. Before we let you go, where can people find you and your work? Oh, um, well, CameronEsposito.com has all my tour dates. It also has rape jokes, which you can watch for free. And also my book you can buy at SaveYourselfBook.com or through my website. Yeah. Amazing. And it's out March 2020. It's, it's out in March. Yeah. And I'll be doing like a big book tour for that. So look for those dates. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was very fun. I apologize if I was too um, honest <laughs> and sincere. Never apologize. I I made an honest and sincere time <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and now we're going to go uh, take care of the, the hunger beast. Yeah, I'm going to eat some fucking us. bananas. I saw some on the way in here. Oh, yeah, yeah. From this studio. We'll handle it. All right, we're almost there. We're almost at the end of the show. But first, our chasers. Chasers are the good stuff that help all the bad stuff go down easier, starting with the TV shows we've been watching this week. Barry, what you been watching? So I know it's been like years and years it's been out, but I finally started watching Black Mirror. Oh, yeah, enough. from the beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you watched episode one. I watched episode one, <laughs> and I watched episode two, and I was like, "Holy shit!" For both. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, remember what episode two was. It's the one. It's um the guy from Get Out, Daniel. Is that his name? Yeah. Oh. And it's it's like it's like a soul cycle, but powering yeah, yeah, something yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't know what, and then he holds a piece of glass up to his neck, and it's freaking crazy. Yeah. Um. So I'm super into it. And but I'm taking it slow. I'm not binging that show. Yeah, I, I it's don't, for the best. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's what I'm watching. What about you? I just started, uh, and probably by the time this episode comes out, we'll be finished with uh, Succession on HBO. Oh, I haven't watched it at all. I remember not. Uh, like I think I started it at one point, and I was sort of like, uh feels like straight people nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it's come back and people are talking about it a lot more now. And I am nothing if not a Fairweather fan. <laughs> <laughs> but so I finally was like, fine, I'll go back and watch it. And I actually am very into it now. <laughs> it actually, I'm like very entertained by it. I mean, it is, uh, the entire story is a bunch of rich white people screaming at one another. But yeah, it's very like Shakespearean. It's kind of Game of Thronesy. I don't In the know. like political aspect of it, not the dragons. Right. Got it. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know the essence of the show, it's it's kind of like loosely based on the Murdoch family, I think, like Fox News, uh-huh. and it's like they the like rich owner of this media conglomerate is about to retire and it's like which of his children is going to succeed him as chairman and they are all like fighting. But it's much more entertaining than that. Um, so I love it. Great. Because the internet told me to. Good. <laughs> what is your non-TV chaser? So technically I already used this one, but I just want to update people. And also we have recorded these not necessarily weekly because you and I both have been out of town. So it's really only been, I think, three weeks 
that since I started listening to Harry Potter audiobooks, uh-huh. uh, I just want to update everyone. I am already on Goblet of Fire <laughs> and I'm fucking loving it. And it's still just like making me really happy. And it's just been great. I just it's still my chaser is listening to the audiobooks. Although I really wanted to apparently Stephen Fry, the British one. Well, they're both British, but the one who's reading the British books uh Apparently, his reading of Goblet of Fire, according to The Guardian or some shit, is uh, like one of the 20 best audiobooks of all time. And you can't download it in America. What? I know. And I'm wondering if I can download it when I'm in the UK. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Right? And even though I've already listened, I only have 10 hours left of this one. I will just listen to the whole thing again. Or you can't buy it on like... Or are you just getting them on Audible? You can't get it on Audible. You can't get it on iTunes. You can't get it and like you can't purchase it. You can get it by CD and then right like rip it and put it on your phone somehow, <laughs> like you did in college. That's so weird. I know it's a licensing thing. Uh, I'm like, come on, yeah. Pottermore. But you can like when you log into your Netflix in the UK, it'll be yeah, different. it'll be different. Um, which is scary. <laughs> so scary. <laughs> but um but yeah, so the the audiobooks are still my chaser cuz um it's taken up all of my life. Uh but it's really just been great. What about you? What's your chaser? Um I guess yeah, uh, like you said we've been recording these a little bit early. So technically I kind of just got back from Chicago. Um and yeah, my parents got a new dog. Yeah. Her name is Carly. She's like a I think only three months old. Oh, it is so little. Yeah. It's, I haven't been around a puppy that's like that much a puppy. Yeah. Like she's definitely like five pounds. Fresh out the womb. If that. Yeah. Fresh out that slimy dog vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like being around a little puppy, especially when I don't have to take care of it. Yeah, that's the best. Even though, um, yeah, our uh, their old dog died from a very weird bacterial infection yeah. that he got from like out being outside somewhere. So now my mom is like, this dog will not go outside until she has all of her shots. So it like poops inside. It's like house trained, like a cat. Oh, yeah. In the toilet. Yep, that'd be fun. It flushes. It wipes its own butt. <laughs> no. I do. It is upsetting to me that my mom and dad have trained it to use its little pads, but like in the middle of the family room. <laughs> it's like, all right, we can fully see her taking shit right now, which I guess is good. So they know. But I'm like, can we you need to train it to not to, you need to put these somewhere else, <laughs> not full view of our company that it's over. So anyway, shout out to puppies. I'll defend it with my life. That's it for this week's Unhappy Hour. Thank you for listening. You can head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Hit that subscribe button, then rate us and review us, but only if it's nice. I don't want to hear your shit. Unhappy Hour is a production of Pineapple Street Media. It's produced by Barry Finkel, Melissa Slaughter, and me, Matt Velisai. Special thanks to Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Our music is by Hansdale Sue. You can bother Barry at Finkelberry Pie. You can worship me at Matt Belisai. And you can follow Unhappy Hour Pod on Twitter for all the latest podcast buzz. And that's it. That's everything. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye. When everything was falling apart, oh my days! <laughs>